To accomplish our goals, we must distill our dreams into daily actions. That quote from Michael Hyatt is actually found on the first page of his really popular full focus planner. It's a planner whose design and purpose is to help you achieve your goals by distilling them into smaller, more achievable, I guess you would call them daily goals or daily actions. And full disclosure, I don't use the full focus planner. I use Google Calendar because it tells my phone and my MacBook and my iPad when I need to do something and that way I don't miss it. But somebody, one of you guys gave me a copy of the full focus planner, um, I think a year or two ago. And so I had it on my shelf and I began to flip through it uh, this past week. It's actually a, a pretty intuitive little book, I think. And so the, it starts out by asking you, what are your annual goals? So you write all these annual goals down, and then on the, in the future pages, you take those goals and you, you make them more detailed. You put them into a, a domain, right? If it's a spiritual goal or a marital goal or a vocational goal, you write the steps that you need to take to be able to achieve this goal, and then eventually the, your reward, the thing that you get when you finally do achieve the goal. This whole planner's design is to, is to help try to make you successful. Now, if you were to have a full focus planner for every different stage of your life, I guarantee you that the goals that you would write for those stages would all be different. In your 20s, your goals probably are, are surrounding career, starting your career and becoming proficient at it, maybe dating and marriage, probably paying off some sort of student debt, because there's a lot of that that exists these days. Your 30s probably have goals that, that resemble starting a family, uh, advancing in your career, community building. Your 50s and 60s then have something to do with, oh, figuring out maybe how to be an empty nester at this point. You have the goal of, of planning and pushing forward toward retirement. And then finally, in the, in the last stages of your life, your, your goal is to try to enjoy retirement. And as Cicero wrote a couple thousand years ago, figure out how to grow old. Right? Every stage of life has different goals that you write, different goals that you set for yourself. But no matter what stage of life you're in, there is one overarching goal that I think that covers all of them. Right? And whether that goal is written consciously or subconsciously, I think it exists for all of us. And it is the reason why we write every other goal that we have. It's a goal of being successful. We want to look back at every stage of life that we go through and to say we weren't failures, because I don't think any, any of us want to be failures, right? Do you guys want to be failures? I don't think so. Nobody wants to be a failure. You want to be able to look back at these stages of life and say, I did it. I accomplished the goals that I set for myself. I wasn't a failure. I, in fact, was successful. And honestly, I don't think that there's anything wrong with a desire to be successful, especially when the motivation for for the goals that you set and for being successful is to use your God-given talents, your time, your treasures, your offerings, your energy to not only give glory to God, but also to serve and love your neighbor. That is a very God-pleasing thing. And success motivated by, the, by that is God-pleasing, right? And God be praised when that happens in our lives. However, there's always a but. But when you set goals and you are striving for success with the wrong motivation, when you are chasing after goals and success, like the world chases after goals and success, simply to be successful for success's sake, getting yourself some pats on the back, making yourself try to look better and more successful to the world, 
that is a dangerous path to walk, and it breeds some pretty insidious stuff within us, uh, not the least of which is pride and arrogance. One of the the worst things that it breeds is a very short-sighted view of life. Because if you are living life, constantly trying to crush goals and define success simply for success's sake, that is not only going to make you miss out on a ton of stuff going on around you, not the least of which is your family. But when you are living with this short-sighted view of life that is chasing success and constantly trying to crush goal after goal just for yourself, it is not a far stretch for that to bleed into your spiritual life. And when that short-sighted view of life and that desire and pining for success simply, simply for success's sake, when that takes root in your spiritual life, it looks like your walk with Christ becomes more about you than the one that you follow. When that short-sighted view of life takes root in your spiritual life, it looks like you just doing a bunch of rules and regulations rather than having faith in the one true God. It looks like you, whenever you have a moral victory, you celebrating all, everything that you have done and the strength that you use to accomplish it. Like, great, you didn't, I didn't go out and get drunk last night, pat on the back. Great, I didn't look at pornography on my phone when I was alone by myself. Look at how good I am. I was with a group of people and I didn't gossip together with all of them and give in to that temptation. Ooh, look how good I am. And when you take that short-sighted view of life, you celebrate every moral victory as if it's something that you accomplished on your own, that you did with your own strength. Taking this short-sighted view of life, your walk with Jesus, it looks like just a bunch of boxes that you're trying to check off. Devotional life, check. Worship Sunday morning, check. Help my neighbor, check. Right When your spiritual life takes this short-sighted view that is constantly chasing after success just for success's sake, it becomes totally centered on you and it almost entirely forgets about Christ. And when you live like that, do you know what you're missing out on? In fact, do you know what you're missing as a whole? You're missing the end goal of it all. When you are simply trying to check off boxes, trying to slay these goals, trying to chase after success, you end up missing or losing sight of the prize for which God has called you heavenward in Christ because your whole life then is all about you and bragging about you and the things that you do. But just think about it from a worldly perspective for a minute. We all set goals for ourselves, right? Whether you write them down in a full focus planner or not, you all set goals for yourself. This past week, did you accomplish every goal that you set for yourself? There's a good chance you didn't. Right? Because failure is a part of, of life in a sinful world. Right? If we were perfect, we would slay every single goal that we ever had, that we ever set for ourselves. But we don't, because failure is part of, part of living in a sinful world. Now, if you live your spiritual life as, with just as these sets of goals and these things that need to be accomplished, you know what you're doing? You're setting yourself up for complete and total failure because by your own strength, by your own ability, you will never be able to accomplish the goal that God has for you in Christ, and you will never actually reach the prize for which God has called you heavenward in Christ. You will fail. This is why this morning, this is why this morning Paul in Philippians chapter 3 needs to upend everything that we understand about goals and success as God's children in this world. And through upending 
how we understand goals and success, Paul actually invites us to take, take this long-term view of life. He invites us to, to live life with this end goal constantly in view. Now, Paul writes this letter to, the, to these Christians in a Roman colony called Philippi. And Philippi is an incredibly successful city filled with incredibly successful people. It was a city that was located on the Via Ignatia, which is a main trade route that leads all the way into Rome. Philippi is in the region of Macedonia, and it is uh, a region where, where you have a lot of gold mining. So as a major trade city, Philippi is a city that dealt with gold trade. And because of its location along this trade route and its primary thing that they traded was gold, they became a very politically influential city. They became politically successful, not only in their own place, but also in the influence that they carried over Rome. And to boot, this is a city where you have Roman soldiers who were used to success in their daily lives, in their lives as warriors on a battlefield. This is, Philippi is a city where these men would go and retire. They'd be given land and they could retire. So this congregation is made up of people like this, people who are incredibly successful, people who are goal crushers, people that others would look at and say, wow, like they've got it going on in their lives. But more important than that, this congregation in Philippi is made up of people who love God, who love the pure gospel of Christ, who, who love the ministers of the gospel that brought it to him in the first place. Right? They, were, they were, so to speak, men and women who, who really put their money where their faith was. When Paul needed assistance on one of his missionary journeys, the, the congregation in Philippi sent Paul a bunch of money to help him out. When one of Paul's fellow co-workers, a, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, fell ill, they asked about how, how he was and in, in what ways that they could help him out, right? This is the kind of people they were. And Paul loved them. They were his pride and joy. I mean, just listen to how he describes them as he talks about them in the opening chapter of this letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. Right? These are people that Paul adored, that he loved. They were his pride and joy. And now these people that he loved were in, were in grave danger of falling into this trap that the world presents you. Falling into this trap of chasing after goals and success simply for success's sake, especially in the realm of their spiritual lives. And when you fall into that trap, Paul's concern is that they would lose sight of that end goal, that prize for which God had called them heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, there were these false teachers who had showed up, teaching that uh, the only way for you to be a true child of God, the only way for you to really know that you're saved is to be circumcised. That was your mark of success. Your physical mark of success was a little snip of skin. Right? And so Paul is so angry that these people so vehemently opposed the gospel, that they were teaching this garbage, that he calls them dogs. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. And everything that they were teaching causes him to become so angry that he goes on this tirade. He, it, anybody who says that scripture is not filled with humor and sometimes dark humor has never read the Apostle Paul, right? This tirade is like, though it's very angry and very 
very scripturally centered and based, it's almost comical the way he goes about that. Because basically what he does in our reading for this morning is say, if you want to play that game, fine. Because two can play it. And you know what? I can play it better. If you think that you, that you can crush goals, if you think that you are successful, if you think that you have any reason to place confidence in the flesh, guess what? I've got way more. I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moses. I belong to the people of Israel, the chosen people of God. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, and I used to bear the name of, of Israel's first king, King Saul, who came from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, a man of impeccable credentials. Right? According to the law, I'm a Pharisee. I keep the law, the Ten Commandments, perfectly, as well as the 613 other laws that we set up to guard the Ten Commandments. As far as zeal for my religious life and for uh, the life of those around me, I persecuted the church that you once belonged to. As far as, as a right standing with God that comes from the law, I'm faultless. I have lived up to every standard that Jewish life has. I have earned all that the law could ever promise. You want to play this game? I play it better. You see what Paul is doing, don't you? He is pointing to himself and, and saying, like, if you want to try to boast in something that has to do with this, that has to do with your body, that has to do with what, what you do in this life, I've done it better. I've got the pedigree. I've got the lineage. I've got the accolades. I've got the titles. I have crushed all of the goals. I have been uber successful in every area of life. And yet, as Paul reflects on all of that in this tirade, do you know what he now considers all of these things? He considers them loss. And do you know what he calls these things? Our translation in our service folders this morning, it, it says garbage. But that's a, that's a very G-rated translation for what Paul says here. Because when Paul looks at these, at these goals that he's crushed and the successes that he's had and, and the accomplishments that he's built up for himself, he uses a word to describe them that would make your grandmother blush. Like in all seriousness, he does. He calls all of these things that he earned for himself a heaping pile of human excrement that is meant for nothing other than to be taken out of the city and buried with the rest of trash. Like that's where it belongs. All of those goals, all of the accomplishments, all of the successes he had are nothing other than a steaming pile of crap. And because that is what they are, Paul then says, do you know what I do? Forget about them. I leave them where they belong. They are in my past and there they will stay. If your life has become so enveloped in chasing after what the world says is successful, in trying to crush goals and trying to advance in your career and trying to make yourself look better so that you are deemed more successful by the world, then Paul's instruction is for you this morning. To leave that all behind. And worse than that, if your spiritual life begins to to resemble that braggadocious and pharisaical approach to your religious life, to your relationship with God, that your walk with Jesus becomes nothing other than check marks and, and rules and regulations that you follow to make yourself feel better. And do you know what Paul calls all of that? He calls it a steaming pile of crap that needs to be buried in the ground and left there, never to be thought of again. With that really crass description, Paul Paul is trying to, to reorient the way that we think about how we live and about how our religious life, namely how our faith and our relationship with God works and how it plays out in this world. 
What Paul wants us to do is to leave behind this very short-sighted view that just chases success and accomplishment and instead live with that end goal in mind. Live with heaven as your destination. That is what Paul wants for you. And in order for you to be reoriented, to think like this, Paul needs to redefine goals and success. And this is how he does it. Listen to what he says in, in Philippians Philippians 3, 7 through 11. He says, But whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. What does Paul say the goal for your life in this world as a Christian is? To know Christ. To know Christ. That's it. And if every other aspect of your life is a complete and total failure, if you never experience success, even the minutest amount of it, if you never experience it again in your entire life and everything falls to pieces, but you are made to know Christ, do you know what God calls you? He calls you successful. That faith, that faith that can only be given to you by God and worked in you by God's power and by God's love, by him and him alone, it is through that faith that you are led to know Christ. The Christ that the world considered a failure. The Christ who hung on a slab of wood and looked as though he was crushed instead of crushing it. The Savior that now, the Christ that now the world still considers to be a failure and a waste of time because it detracts and keeps people from garnering what they would consider to be crushing goals and any, any amount of success. That's the way the world thinks about Christ. But you, through faith, you know who Christ is and what his ultimate goal was. His goal? To accomplish salvation for you. His goal? To crush Satan. His goal? To kill death. His goal? To win for you a forgiveness that knows no limits. His goal? is to successfully bring you back into a right relationship with your God. And the way that he did it sure looked like a failure to everyone else in the world, including those who killed him. But for you and I who know Christ, it was a complete and total success because of what it won for you. Heaven and forgiveness and a right relationship with your God. And do you know how, how he proved that it was a success? He came back from the dead. He rose. And it is only by knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection that you are given the one thing, the only thing that you ever need, a true and right relationship with your God, that you can stand because of this right relationship, that you can stand before your God, pure and blameless and clean without the fear of retribution or retaliation or punishment. And this relationship, it cannot be earned by checking boxes. It cannot be earned by chasing success. It can't be earned by you patting yourself on the back for any, any modicum of moral victories. This relationship must 
start with God. It must be given by God, and the way it is given to you is by faith. This right relationship comes from knowing Christ, and when you know Christ, God says you're successful. That's our goal. Our goal is to know Christ. But to know Christ has more to do with just stuff floating around up in here or even in here. Paul describes knowing Christ in this world as a full body experience. Right? He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection to be like him in his sufferings and become like him in his death. So to somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. Right? It's not enough to just simply say, I believe in Jesus. You got to go and live it too. You can't just sit here on a Sunday morning and say your goal is to just worship and then the next six days of the week, eh, it doesn't really matter. Right? Paul describes knowing Christ as this full life thing. So if you were to take all of this and put it into a full focus planner, your annual goal, your annual goal would be constantly living with that end goal of heaven in mind. And to put the, that goal into greater detail, Right? That goal in greater detail would be like continuously knowing Christ and growing, growing in what it means to know him, to be like him in his suffering and death. And your reward is the resurrection from the dead. Right? Our goal is to continuously know Christ, which gets rid of this short-sighted idea that success, that life in this world is all about the success you garner for yourself. And if we know that our end goal is heaven, then our daily goal in knowing Christ is to be like him, is to imitate him. In other words, our daily goal is discipleship, to follow Jesus through and through no matter what it costs you in this life. I mean, Paul says, I want to be like him in his suffering. Living like a disciple in this world means that the world is going to constantly look at you as a failure. Because you are going to have to avoid things that the world chases after. That you are going to have to abstain from things and people and places and situations which would lead you into sin. Being a Christian in this world is difficult. Being a disciple in this world is hard because being a disciple is not just about staying away from things, but it's also about emptying yourself to such a depth and degree to love and to serve and to live and to work with people who are completely and totally unlovable. Paul says he doesn't want to just be like Christ in his sufferings. He wants to, to become like Christ in his death. And right now we have brothers and sisters in Christ overseas who are literally giving their lives up for the faith that they profess. They are being put to death, being considered by the world to be failures, while those who put them to death are celebrating their success. Paul says, I want to be like Christ in his sufferings and in his death. The world will always do this. It always has and it always will be hard on you and call you failures and, and make you suffer for what you believe. And you know what? That's fine. Let the world do it. Let the world keep chasing after goals and success for the sake of success. But you who know Christ, you who know Christ, keep living like him. Keep imitating him. Keep living with that end goal in mind. Now, the Apostle Paul admits that living like this is difficult. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this, not that I have already, already been made perfect, but I press on. I press on toward the goal which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Right? Living like a disciple in this world can, 
it can feel like the like the coal miners in World War II in Great Britain felt. In World War II, these, these coal miners, they spent their days in the depth and drudgery of the earth, bringing up coal to its surface to fuel the war effort. But all the while, they knew that there was a great struggle going on, a, big, a great battle, a great goal that their nation was endeavoring on to defeat the Axis powers, to, to defeat Germany. And these coal miners, they, they wanted to be a part of this all. They wanted, to be, they wanted to have this as their goal. They wanted to be part of this successful, this successful endeavor. And, and Winston Churchill knew how hard this was. And he also knew that if he had a bunch of coal miners quit, there would be no coal to fuel the war effort. They needed coal miners just as much as they needed soldiers. So Churchill came to these soldiers and he, he gave them a speech to try to motivate them. And initially it was a speech that was only heard by by uh, a few thousand people, but eventually it spread from mine to mine, from miner to miner. Churchill came and he told them that that dirty and grimy and thankless job that they continuously worked was just as important as the soldiers fighting on the front battle line. And he told them, I want you to picture this parade, a parade that happens where thousands upon thousands of people are there to celebrate the war effort that was completed, the victory that was won. And in this parade, first will come the, the, the members of the Royal Navy, then the Royal Air Force, then the heroes from Dunkirk who valiantly stood against the Germans, and then will come this long line of thousands upon thousands of, of coal-stained miners wearing their helmets. And when somebody from that crowd looks up and sees them and they shout at you, where were you during the days of the great struggle? Thousands upon thousands of throats will roar. We were deep in the earth with our faces in the coal, carrying out the work of fueling the war. When the miners left that, left that speech that day, they walked back to their mines with their, their heads held a little bit taller, standing just a little bit higher, because now they had a new goal. They had a new purpose. They had a new ambition for themselves and, and for their nation. I know that life as, as a disciple in this world, knowing Christ and, and seeking to be more like Christ, but there can be days when it feels like you are a coal miner. And all you want to do is chase after what the world chases after, to leave behind the difficulty of this job, to, to chase after what the world deems more successful, to chase after better goals that, that make you perceived as a bigger and better person, to have a have a more truer ambition according to what the world says. But every time you feel like that, every time you feel like that, I, I want you to remember this, that you already have it. You're already a part of it. You don't need to chase after something bigger and better because you already have Christ. You don't need to long for something or some bigger and truer ambition because heaven is already yours. That is the prize for which God has called you heavenward. Every time you feel like that, I want you to remember the, the Apostle Paul's advice. Forget all of that stuff. Leave behind what the world chases after, the goals and the successes. Leave it all behind what the world chases after, because in the end, that is nothing but a steaming pile of crap. Instead, live your life continuously knowing Christ and imitating Christ. Live your life keeping your eyes on the prize, keeping your eyes on heaven. Live for heaven, Paul says, because God 
God has something in store for you that is far greater than anything you could possibly imagine. God grant that. Amen.